pouring from the buildings now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the painterly Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? I've got the Transmatter Cube all warmed up and ready. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> well, fantastic. I, I'm going to let you go first. Uh, how's that sound? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just those things are, I don't know, there's a history. I'm just saying. Uh, folks, if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome aboard. Uh, this show is typically dedicated to Aquaman and Firestorm, the adventures of the King of the Seven Seas and the Nuclear Man. And uh, this month, we are very, very excited to be part of a multi-podcast crossover. I mean, this thing's huge. What, 12 different partners we've got in this? It is part of JL May 2017, where we are talking about the miniseries Justice by Alex Ross. Woof, I'm excited about this. How about you, pal? Yeah, this is very interesting. I, this, this is a very ambitious crossover. I, it was sort of funny. I, I, I'm a bad podcaster. I just sort of ignored that thread that went on forever about what we were doing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we were like – and then like I heard the promo and it was like, it all starts. The Fire and Water Pike. I'm like, it does? <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so that's what happens when I commit you to things. <laughs> Wait till you see the other stuff I signed you up for. <laughs> Jeez. Trust me. You do have a gorilla suit, right? Because you're going to need one by June. I'm just saying. Can't wait for the before Watchmen crossover. Right. You are doing Silk Spectre, right? I mean, that was the plan. Uh, no, I am shaking my fist. Would you rather do Dr. Manhattan? I mean, come on, really? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, this uh, this was the brainchild, I, and I'm, I'm scrolling through the thread here trying to vamp. I want to say this, I think, this was the brainchild of Paul Hicks, right? Am I getting that right? I, I have no idea. We're totally giving Paul Hicks credit for this. <laughs> Uh, well, thanks, Paul. So here, here we go. I'm going to do a quick run through of all the different podcasts that are involved. First one is, oh, this one sounds good. Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water podcast. That's a good one, folks. Yeah, that's a good up, one. Ne- 
Then uh, here's some again the other partners in there. Supermates podcast from the Fire Water, Fire and Water Podcast Network. Good show. Idlehead of it is a good show. Oh, all these are good shows. Idlehead of Diablo, part of the World's Fine Podcast Network. Views from the Long Box, which is part of the Views from the Long Box Network. Pulp the Pixel Podcast, which is part of the Pulp the Pixel Podcast Network. Are you are you sensitive theme with net with networks? The Lantern Cast, the Shazam Cast. Comic Reflections, Silver and Gold Podcast, which is part of the S&G Podcast Network, Power of Fishnets, which is also here on our Fire and Water Podcast Network, Waiting for Doom, and Justice's First Dawn. Woof! That is a mammoth collection of great podcasts, folks. So, the goal here is you listen to us, talk about Justice Number 1, then you're going to follow on to those other programs. I'll, I'll go over them again at the end, telling you what issue to find and which one's there, uh, but... In the meantime, get ready for it. And go on the social media, folks. We want you to use the hashtag JLMay. We want to hear your thoughts on this issue. We want to hear your thoughts on the crossover. We want to hear your you're making funny noises about Ryan Daly. All of it. It's got to be out there. It's so very important. Now, before we get much further, Rob, we should probably take a second to thank our sponsors. What do you think? Uh, why not? Okay, sure. What the heck? It's something different. Uh, this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, buddy? Well, in the promo, we are describing this as Super Friends for Adults. Uh, yeah. I guess we put adults in quotes. I like to think of uh, <laughs> I like to think of uh, Super Friends as Super Friends for Adults, so I'm recommending the Showcase Presents Super, Super Friends Trade Paperback Volume 1. It's the Showcase Edition. It collects Super Friends issues 1 through 34, 448 pages. The writer is E. Nelson Bridwell. The artists are Rick Estrada and the great Ramona Fraden. The cover artist is Alex Toth, featuring that classic shot of the Super Friends. Normal price, $19.99. In stock, trades price, $11.59. That's 42% off. I used to, I never missed an issue of the Super Friends, so it's great that this is all in the 34 issues of it are in between uh, two covers. This is a great, fun book. Super Friends, Volume 1. I think I need to pick that up because I've never read the Super Friends comics because in my mind it was always like out of continuity, so not paying any attention. But <laughs> the Global Guardians are in there. There's a lot of world building in there from what I understand. So it's it's they're probably worth my time. really fun one and dones for the most. Occasionally there's a two-parter, but they're mostly just one and dones. And I never missed an issue of the Super Friends. And uh, that cover on the on the showcase, I think you recognize that from somewhere. Well, yes, it's originally from the Treasury edition. What's even what's what's extra nice about it is the Treasury edition featured a retouched Superman face by Murphy Anderson because DC was all willy nilly about uh, Alex Toth drawing Superman's face, but here they left it uncorrected. Oh, so, nice! So this is the original Alex Toth version on this cover. Oh, that's cool. I, I was not aware of that. Okay. Uh, I went for something a little more straightforward with the show that we're doing. I went for the Justice Trade Paperback, which collects the story we're going to be talking about. Now, if you go out to Insight Trades and look for it, there's actually several different versions of the Justice Trade Paperback because they did like volume. I think they did three volumes where they split it into four issues apiece, pretty much just trying to milk the money out of people as it was going out. But uh, you can get one version that it has the full collection. If you go out to our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com, go to this show, which is the Aquaman Firestorm show, and go to the show notes. You will find a link to this exact trade paperback, just so there's no confusion. Anyway, it is Justice Trade Paperback. It is all 12 issues, 384 pages. I don't need to tell you much about it because we're going to talk about it quite a bit in just a second, but uh, you can normally retail for $29.99. You can get it 42% off, which is $17.39. That's a heck of a deal for all of this Alex Ross art. Oh my gosh, dude. Uh, definitely go pick this up, folks, if you don't have it already. Now, if you do have it already, 
check out the Project Superpowers, Volume 1, also by Alex Ross and Jim Kruger, same people that did this. It was by Dynamite. I'm not going to talk about the details of it, but it was basically they took the Golden Age characters that were in public domain and brought them to the modern day, and Alex Ross doing some of the art, and just so cool. Loved it. Love it. All right, folks, for these and all your other collected editions, please visit InStockTrades.com. Go up to the Contact Us button and let them know the Fire and Water podcast sent you. All right. Well, Rob, I guess it's time to do this, huh? Let's get this party started. All right. We are. It is a big party, a 12 podcast party. So, all right. Justice number one by Jim Kruger, Alex Ross, Doug Braithwaite, and Todd Klein. Across the globe, Various cities are rocked by giant fire explosions caused by something crashing down from the sky. In Metropolis, Superman rescues Lois Lane. He then turns his attention towards another person about to be engulfed in flames. But before the Man of Steel can get to him, the man is immolated. You know Rob wrote this because that's like his favorite word. Superman is shocked that he was too late. Quote, but I'm never too late. This happens again and again until he finds even Lois is lost. As Superman surveys the devastation, a narrator chides him for not being a man, just pretending to be one. The same catastrophe is happening in Rome to Wonder Woman and in Central City to The Flash, who's reduced to tears. Even worse, when Superman reaches out to the Martian Manhunter, we find out that John Jones is reduced to a melted mass dead. Green Lantern fails too, and Superman heads to space to see the damage from above. The whole world is on fire. We see Hawkgirls also succumbing, and Aquaman telling desperate refugees to stay out of the ocean. It's been boiled, leaving all of his finny friends dead. We check in on Green Arrow, Black Canary, and the Atom, all of whom are fighting a losing battle. Batman is forced to lead a band of children to safety in the confines of the Batcave, but it's all for naught. The Earth blows up, and Superman is alone in space. Of course, this is all a dream. A dream held by different people all over the world. But these are people we might recognize as we are given glimpses of their distinctive surroundings. We then cut to Atlantis, where Arthur Curry is talking with his wife, Mira. He tells her there's trouble and has to suit up as Aquaman. As he searches for his belt, he gives his queen a kiss and then climbs aboard his seahorse steed. Meanwhile, a dune buggy tears across a desert. Inside is the man known as Captain Cold. He points one of his high-tech weapons and fires, creating a giant mountain of ice. He talks of now, maybe, being able to get a good night's sleep. Back in the ocean, Aquaman stumbles upon a giant black dome on the seafloor. Before he has time to investigate, he is attacked by Black Mana and his henchmen. Mana talks about humanity needing superheroes like Aquaman, but they weren't there, but he will be. Aquaman has no idea what Mana is going on about, and is shocked when two sharks grab the Sea King by the arms, immobilizing him. As more and more sea creatures pile on, darkness descends on Aquaman. Manta has his men carry Aquaman's unconscious body to a secret lair where someone else is waiting. Manta asks this person when the end of the world is supposed to begin, and Lex Luthor answers, he isn't sure. We see that Aquaman is on the floor of a sinister meeting room, and Luthor invites Manta to take a seat. To be continued. Oof! All right. What'd you think, man? Well, that was one fine synopsis, if I have to say myself. That was really... <laughs> Right, hit all the high points. Now, uh, yeah, this is the first chapter. I my my memory, my number one memory of, of reading this the first time because I bought this off the stands when it came out. I was so excited because it's like, wow, you know, Alex Ross doing like a not a monthly book but a bi-monthly book and featuring all of these characters, all of his favorites, which is pretty much the entire DCU except for Firestorm. And like, <laughs> I, I remembered thinking that it felt like a movie. You know, like it has that kind of movie feel to it. Like, and I almost wondered, was this written as like a screenplay and then converted mm. into a comic book? Now, I don't think that's really the case, but it's kind of like, remember that uh, the one-off that DC did many, many years ago, like Superman the Earth Stealers? Yeah. That was originally supposed to be Superman 5. 
And then when that when that movie never when that movie never got produced, they retrofitted it as a comic book. But Justice feels like the openings you can just hear like the you know James Newton Howard music or whatever, or Michael Giacchino uh, as it opens across all these different places and all this terrible disaster is befalling our heroes. And you know I like the opening in that you know it's a it's a double blind because the first you know when Superman sees that guy immolate, yes I do like that word, and he's, <laughs> and he's like but he's like but I'm never too late. And you're like, would Superman really say that? Like, would he really be? And then you're like, well, no, this is someone else's view of Superman. So, of course, he's coming, coming across as like an egotistical dick. You know, that kind of thing. So I like all that stuff. So, uh, you know, it's a really, it's a grabber of an opening to see our heroes fail. You know, you mentioned that it does feel very cinema, cinema uh the, that word about a movie. Uh, but, and maybe I've read too many Alex Ross treasury edition size things, you know, like Superman and Batman, the Wonder Woman, all those different treasuries. Because this feels like, almost like it was designed for a treasury. You know, it's it's so gorgeous, it's so beautiful. The pages are just ginormous, like, you know, the big two-page spread right in the, in the middle of the book. It feels like this is designed for treasury, and maybe he got told, no, no, we're not doing treasury, do it as a comic. And so he had to, you know, deal with the format he was given. But if you, you know, it does feel like a huge scope. It is beautiful. Now, I do have some criticisms here. Um, let me let me start off by saying, actually, I bought this as it came out as well, issue by issue. I have never read it. I <laughs> I bought it. I was going to read it. I'm like, you know what? I think this is one of the things I want to wait till all 12 issues come out. And it's been sitting in a long box in my office. Now, admittedly, on the top of the stack, ready to be read since 2005. Um, just now getting around to it. So what I've done, wow. decided to do, when we decided we're going to do this crossover, I'm actually going to read the issues as I do each podcast. So I'm, I've read number one. I'm going to do our podcast. I will read number two right before we go to the next uh, partner. So I'm going to I'm going to go through the stories with the podcast. So I'm kind of excited about that. So I don't know where this is going. I have no idea. So for me, coming into it, I had no idea that this was you know a, a dream, the first half of the issue. And that's kind of where my complaint is, is that like in a trade paperback, it's probably fine. But as a single issue, dedicating an entire half an issue to a dream – yeah, it feels like a bit of a cheat. It's a little bit frustrating. I feel like, you know, I wanted the story to get moving. I didn't want to deal with it that long. But again, in trade form, probably works beautifully. It, you know what this does remind me of? Remember that, and of course you do, Superman Power Record, Tomorrow the World, sure. which is the one where Superman has all the nightmares and there's all the people screaming and everything you, going you know, on. I hear the sirens and all the stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, had, like, I could hear that in the background in my head. Hear, like, Superman's voice was that Superman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that's what a, the first half of it really felt like to me. I did dig the thing where, like, Green Lantern – you talked about the – the bias coming from the narrator. I liked how they talk about how Green Lantern was succeeding for a while there. Of course he was because he's human. You know, this anti-alien sentiment. Who gives, it gives you a little hint of who might be narrating this thing. I, I did dig that. I liked when the villains all – when all the villains woke up. Now, you didn't specify in your, in your synopsis. You left it a little vague. But it was nice to see, you know, Black Mana, Cheetah, Scarecrow, and Toy Man. And they don't come right – you know, it's intelligently done. They don't come right out and tell you. Right. You know, there's just enough hints. Like Black Mana's got a seashell. You know, and you see he's underwater, and Cheetah's naked, and by the way, hot, with Cheetah's. And sca- the Scarecrow was the hardest one to figure out, but then you, you realize, oh, he's a skinny, gawky guy, and he's scared. Oh, it's Scarecrow, you know, that kind of thing. And I did spend a lot of time looking at Toyman's shelves in the background, trying to figure out if those were any action figures I'd recognize. But that was a nice touch. By the way, okay, so quick question here. All right. It says, uh, story is by Jim Kruger and Alex Ross. Script's by Jim Kruger. Art is by Doug Braithwaite and Alex Ross. Now I've looked online. Do we know how Doug Braithwaite and Alex Ross broke the broke up the art chores? Uh, I I am not familiar with it. I'm going to assume that at the very least Braithwaite did the layouts and maybe very loose pencils, and then Alex Ross sort of finished it and then painted it. 
because there are some faces here that are not Alex Ross faces. I mean, I think Alex Ross is one of the things he's really good at is giving people distinct looks. But I mm-hmm. can also see some stuff here that just to me doesn't read as Alex Ross. Hmm. So that's I, this is just me guessing, but I, yeah. I'm, I'm betting that that's how it broke down because I think breakdowns is probably a, a big part of the, the time-consuming process is just figuring out how you're going to do the shot. So if you have somebody doing that for you, you're already a leg up because then Alex can get into doing the finished art and actually doing the painting. See, I just don't know because I mean, even his breakdowns, it feels like Ross's breakdowns. Now, Braithwaite could have just studied how Ross does his stuff, but I, I, like, I, I, I see almost no one but Ross in here, so I'm having a hard time. I do like the Superman in this. Like, normally... Ross draws Superman very 1950s barrel-chested, gives him a very square head, looks very old-school, strongman kind of style. Um, this one seems like a nice amalgam of like maybe that square-jawed 50s Superman and maybe like a 70s Christopher Reeve type, you know, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. Seems like some sort of amalgam of those. And I, and I dig the Superman. I think this is a, one of the better Alex Ross Supermans. I really do, do like that. Yeah, I always like his Superman. He, he has a sort of recognizable anatomy, which I like. I mean, he's big. He's a big dude, but he's not like muscle upon muscle upon muscle. He's just big and bulky, and I like a lot of that. And there's a lot of detail. I mean, this, this is your very detailed panels, and there's not a lot of space. I mean, you talk about, you know, maybe this had started out as a treasury. That would have been, oh, good Lord. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a lot here. I mean, like the, the two-page spread where we're seeing all the different JLAers dealing with the catastrophe. There's a lot of information that he's conveying because we see, like, uh, Ross doesn't really go in for, like, really grim images for the most part. And seeing Hawkgirl, like, on fire is right. deeply upsetting. And then the reverse shot of Aquaman as he's standing on the ocean and we see all the dead sea life on the bottom of the floor of the ocean. Like, that's horrible. Uh, and then that, that's, that, uh, that's, that's Val Kilmer's face, by the way, if you look at that. It does look a little Val Kilmer. It does. And I like the panel of, of Batman leading all the kids into the Batcave. Like, I wish I could see more of that. That's such an interesting panel. Like, that's how – it's almost like even more than Hawkgirl being burned – you know how desperate things are when Batman is letting strangers into the Batcave. Like, well, didn't he do that in Dark Knight Returns at the end after does, everyone thought yes. he was dead? Yeah, so it kind yes. of reminded me. And actually, I've never been really much of a fan of Ross's Batman because he makes the clothes look too much like clothes with mm-hmm. Batman. Like, I'm, I'm more of like, a, I like my Batman to be armored kind of thing versus uh, just wearing clothes. And his Batman always just, you can like, you see the folds in the fabric and the cowl, and that just always bothered me. Hmm. The That page you're talking about, though, what makes me sad is Green Arrow and Black Canary, because they're trying to get away from, you know, the city that's on fire, and they, they can't see. He says, you know, Arrow says, I can't see, they're on top of a building. Arrow says, I can't see much, but if we can make it to the next building, we'll have a chance. And he shoots an arrow to the next building, and that building literally crumbles. Yeah. And Black Arrow... Um, Green Arrow and Black Canary basically are there on the roof with all these people, and they know they're going to die. And he just goes like, hell. And she says, I love you, Green Arrow, because they know it's the end for them. And it's just like, oh, God, yeah. that's, that's like, oh, it gets you. Yeah, you never want to see your heroes in, in this situation. It's, it's right. just very upsetting, deeply upsetting. But like Listen, I said, I like that I like that they, you know, you said you feel like it was half the issue. And I don't know, it doesn't, yeah, it kind of is, but. Well, it was half the issue. I mean, yeah, like the I breaking so. point's the middle. It doesn't feel like it, though. It doesn't. I don't know. To me, it didn't feel like too much of a cheat. It was like, okay, we're setting the stakes for the, the catastrophic events that could happen when if all this is, goes on. Well, it was a nice reveal when you realize it's the villains having that dream. Right. I mean, that was pretty cool. I assumed it was Superman having the dream the whole time. You know, it's just maybe that's the, the power records influencing me. But uh, I really dug that. Now, let's get to um, – let's talk about the Aquaman scenes here. I loved – I said this is another thing I remember when I bought the first issue. I was like – 
oh, awesome. Like, yeah. you know, now, little did I know that Aquaman would pretty much, this would be his best moment until oh, really? way later on in the series, sort of. But this is his big moment, is like the, the, all these scenes here. Okay. So, all right. So I got lots of little notes here. Like, um, I love seeing Aquaman with, with Arthur Jr. That makes me happy. Sure. It's, I, I love the character. I, I love the 60s series from, of Aquaman, so that always makes me happy to see Arthur Jr. back. Um, because I'm me, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to pass up this opportunity. Uh, Mera, you know, sleeping basically naked, and they Aquaman is looking for his belt, and they said it's over the bed. Is that supposed to be like a reference to some heated passion that went on, maybe? Well, well, I I don't know. I think you're reading into it. It's got to be somewhere. I mean, he, okay. takes, he comes right. in, he takes his uniform off. I mean, we 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 get look. We we get both a little cheesecake and beefcake because Aquaman. We oh, see yeah. him. We see him without his shirt on, and Arthur is ripped. Man, he is. Yeah. He is super chiseled. So a little something for the ladies. Well, the most most cheesecakey thing really was, uh, I would say, cheetah uh, on the right. other page. Yeah, you definitely get some rippling. But yeah, this is totally a big rippling muscle mass thing going on yeah. here. Total beefcake stuff with Superman. You know, I mean, even though Superman has clothes on, you can see what's going on there. So uh, the storm, the the giant seahorse, mm-hmm. that is like the most epic version of storm I've ever seen. It looks fantastic. I love it. it's kind of glowy. I love yeah, it. it's like a little, bioluminescence yeah. or something going on yeah. there. Or, you know what it really looks like? My daughter has a lot of toys that are like clear jelly with sparkles inside kind of mm-hmm. thing. That's really what it looks like. Uh, but man, that looks just badass. I love that. Yeah, it looks really, really cool. And I have a question. Uh, how to interpret the, the the Mara line here, which is, by the way, Mara looks fantastic. She looks, I love this interpretation of Mara. Seeing Mara look almost like a real person is just great. And in my mind, I'm seeing her going, oh, it looks like Amber Heard. I don't know if I'm projecting there or not, but Mara says, as Aquaman leaves, she says, we'll be waiting for you. We always are. And I'm trying to decide, is that sort of an example of her commitment to him? Like, Because in the classic series, she almost never called him Aquaman or Arthur. She called him my husband all the time. I mean, she was fairly, I don't want to say subservient, but in a lot of ways she was in the, in the classic 60s series. So I don't know if that was sort of a nod to her being you know, committed to him and willing to stand by her man. Or is that more sad because she's stuck at home? I couldn't quite read that. Oh, I think it's the former. I think it's always just, just a match. She's just the loyal you know, she's his wife. That's all. She's like, you got to go out and be Aquaman. I understand. We'll be here. I, I don't take it as anything other than that. Okay. All right. yeah. I love seeing the, the little cutaway where we get to see Leonard Snart, Captain Cold out in the desert, creates a giant ice, uh, you know, mountain of ice. Mm-hmm. I just, seeing him in such a contrasting environment, you know, with, with the pith helmet and stuff, was just like, I really like that, actually. It just really struck a chord with me. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it looks cool. I, I I like that you don't know who it is. I mean, obviously, when he pulls out the cold gun, anybody that knows this stuff knows, and they they do call him Leonard. But I kind of like that they don't. Nobody calls him Captain Cold. Yeah, like, well, he's got the goggles. I mean, that he's that got was kind of go- yeah. right. I mean, it's it's like I said, it's not subtle, but it's not a. You, at least the the other guy isn't like, hey, Captain Cold, because you wouldn't right. call the guy Captain Cold. I mean, you. you know. <laughs> well, with the, with the goggles, it's either that or a mole man's had a, gone on a diet and right. switched companies, but. Um, now, now, going to the Black Mana battle with Aquaman. I don't really get the Black Dome. I guess that'll be explained to me in future issues. I'm not really sure. But I really liked, uh, in, in the battle, you're in Black Mana's thoughts through the whole battle. And I like that Black Mana sort of made a quick assessment of Aquaman. He, he made a, Well, he made a quick assessment of what Aquaman was thinking. So we're hearing Mana's thoughts about assuming what Aquaman's thinking. And basically... Black Man had decided that Aquaman has already dismissed him before the fight even starts. He's like Aquaman's already thinking about going back home and being with the family and making clever, smart, you know, smart-ass comments about me because I'm a threat he understands. I'm not something unknown. And that was just like, wow, 
that's really deep. If you're a, a villain and you know that the, the superheroes don't, you know, they consider you a joke. And I was like, woof, man, that's kind of powerful stuff. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine once you've defeated somebody 27 times, the 28th time is just not that big of a deal. You know, you're just right. like, all right, I just got to, you know, bop this guy around, him in his stupid helmet. This will be easy, you know. And so I would imagine that would grate on you as a villain. Yeah, yeah. I, I and, then, the, and I like the Ross, the first time, the first shot we get a Black Manor when he's got the helmet on and you just kind of see him in the darkness and it's just those red eyes. Like Black Manor is one of those costumes that's, if you really look at it too close, you're like, this is a ridiculous costume. But if you, <laughs> if you do it well, you can make it creepy and weird and strange, and, and I, Ross does that. The guys, uh, the boys, uh, Reese and Prada were really good at it too. Uh, when you do it, when you see it on the Challenge with Super Friends, it just looks kind of ridiculous. But I think Ross does a nice job on it, on Black Mana. Yeah. Well, the trick of Black Mana is if you draw him the way he's supposed to be drawn, you make the neck too long. And it looks yeah. kind of dumb. But when, it's, when the neck is shorter, it works better. But I got to tell you, man, and you didn't talk about this in the synopsis, but the most shocking thing of the entire issue is the last panel. Because Aquaman has been taken out. Luther is there. And he's basically Black Man is giving Luther to uh, Black Black Man is giving him uh, Aquaman to Luther, and Luther says, "Take a seat wherever you like. You're the first to arrive." And anybody who's even remotely close to my age immediately knows right. that's yeah. the interior of the Legion of Doom's headquarters. Right. Right. That was a big OMG moment. Now I, I, I kind of knew the Legion of Doom was part of this because of our our, our own promo, <laughs> but other than that, I mean, that was just like a whoa, Legion of Doom! Oh my god! You know, it's I, so exciting. I didn't know that you hadn't read this, so that, that's funny yeah. that you're taking it from that. Can I say one thing I, I just mentioned, I just noticed, is that on that final page, you see the outside window, and you see that there's buildings. So, like, oh. like where is this place? Is this in the heart of a city? Like, where do you just build – the bad guys build their headquarters in the middle of Metropolis? Seems kind of a weird place. Like, in the, in the cartoon, it was always in the swamp. Yeah. But here it's like, you know, wow, okay, did they had to like look for space and they look for like, you know, <laughs> what's what's the monthly rate on this? You know, like okay, you can't maybe it'll this. maybe it'll move around like it did in the cartoon. That'd be awesome when it used to fly across the screen and challenge super friends and that musical like dun 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 It's exciting stuff. I love that. <laughs> here in the murky swamp, you know, that whole right. thing. Yeah. And that one alligator would move. <laughs> So, uh, did you read? Then, uh, did you read it from a trade, a digital uh, issue? What did you read for this? Like, what version of the comic did you read to prepare for this podcast? The single issue. Okay, so you got the files in the back. Yes, they all came okay. with those cool bio files in the back. Yeah, yeah. Which, as I understand, actually play a role in the book later. Uh, so. I was moved by a couple of these. The Aquaman one. By the way, I'm pretty sure I have this image of Aquaman on a T-shirt. Yes, they yeah. made that into an image. Yeah, it's a great, it's a wonderful image of Aquaman. Very iconic. Oh. Pretty sure I do. Um, anyway, there's a, there's a great line here because this is all Batman's assessment of these people. And Batman's talking about how Aquaman shouldn't have families. He says, we can't afford to have families. We can't afford to have sons who can lose their fathers. Whoa! Mm. Deep dive into Batman's psyche right there. <laughs> I may need to go rogue sometime. <laughs> Black Mana. I really liked this assessment of Black Mana because, like, I don't know. I just, I, when I read it, I was like, yeah, that's totally accurate. And I guess I've never pieced it together. He says Black Mana's identity is irrelevant. He has become the mask he wears, which is very true for the character. Uh, and he is, he is hated for so long, he is no longer a man who hates, but hate itself. It's like, wow, that's really cool. I really like that assessment of Black Mana. 
the art, I mean, I don't know what else to say about the art in this thing other than every freaking panel could be a painting in a, in a museum. It's just stunning. You know, Alex Ross always does a phenomenal job. And here, I mean, I can't wait 12 issues of this. I'm so excited, especially with the Legion of Doom stuff. But it is absolutely stunning, beautiful. I can't imagine if I'd read this in 2005 and I got to that last page with the Legion of Doom, you know, the, 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 the meeting room and not known it was coming, I would have dropped the load. I would have just been like, oh, my God. So, because uh, I think that's, I think this probably, maybe, not, mm, does this predate the Justice League Unlimited episodes where they brought back the Hall of, uh, the, the Legion of Doom as well? I don't know. I, don't, I do I don't remember, know. I do remember being frustrated. I had to wait two months in between issues. That was, that oh. felt like a really long time. You know, and that's part of the reason, I mentioned earlier all the trades, I, I, I jokingly said DC was trying to milk everybody, but that's part of the reason they had those trades coming out, because you were waiting two months between issues, and so they would collect four issues at a time, yeah. just so they could try and get some trades on the shelves. So, yeah. <sighs> I think that's it for the comic, man. Yeah, I you, mean, you, you know, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that, like, that this is basically what Alex Ross would do all the time if given his way. Like, this is his version of the characters, you know. Uh, we didn't mention the, uh, the the alternate covers because the, the, the main covers, of course, the seven big heroes, comes with an alternate cover, which is the villains. And it is, you know, as close as you can get to that opening credits from the Childhood Super Friends where the, 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 the Legion of, you know, are the, the two teams running towards each other. Right. And then the, you know, and it turns into the title card. That's exactly what this is because you've got the seven heroes facing right. And then you've got the villains, and you see Solomon Grundy, Solomon Grundy, and Scarecrow, and Cheetah, and Black Mana, and Captain Cold, and they're facing the other direction. So it is it is quite literally print version of the opening credits to the Challenge of the Super Friends, and that's that is that's where Alex Ross lives is is that 1977-78 iteration of these characters. That is so cool. What a what a cool. I mean, I I can't believe I didn't read this before. Now I'm just so excited to, to, to experience this as we go issue by issue. Okay, and I really hope that uh, Solomon Grundy makes an appearance in the issue covered by the Superman's podcast. That would be great. <laughs> I, I think Chris should find a way to do the imitation anyway. What the hell? Yeah. Speaking of which, why don't we do a quick rundown of where you can find everything, folks? So after you finish listening to this episode, you need to head over to the Supermates podcast. Again, that's on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. They're going to cover Justice Number Two. Now, all of these are going to come out in May, and we're going to come out pretty much in order. If we get an issue, like if someone releases theirs before the next issue, it'll all be out within a week, and it'll, it'll all sort itself out. So, if Justice Number Two is covered in Supermates. Uh, Justice Number Three is going to be covered in the Idle Head of Diablo. Remember, Rolled Spine Podcast Network. Uh, Justice Number Four is going to be covered by Views from the long box uh justice number five is the pulp to pixel podcast justice number six is the lantern cast justice number seven is the shazam cast justice number uh eight is comic reflections justice number nine is the silver and gold podcast justice number 10 is power of fishnets podcast also here on the firewater podcast network justice 11 is covered by waiting for doom i'm sorry folks that one will not be in english it will be in australianese so Fair warning now, you're probably not going to understand a word of it. And Justice number 12 is in Justice's First Dawn. So that's kind of a nice uh, bookend. You know, you start with us uh, because we're awesome, and also because Aquaman plays a major player in this, and you end the Justice book with Justice's First Dawn. That's nice. Well played. I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to talk about this. I, uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of the episodes. Anything else uh, we should share with the nice people at home? Assuming they're nice people. Just that if you want to see some images from this book, we're going to post them on the gallery site, the gallery uh, post over on our website, ironwaterpodcast.com. Awesome. Perfect. So, folks, this is a little bit shorter than we normally go because normally Rob just talks and talks and talks and these things go on forever. Uh, but uh, <laughs> actually, there's a reason Rob wrote the recap, probably to keep me from going on too long. But uh, thanks Ding. for tuning in. 
You can find us at, again, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook as the Fire and Water Podcast Network. We're also on Twitter as FW Podcasts. Uh, Rob, where can they find you individually? Oh, all over the place, but just go to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And you can go on Twitter or you can find me at, at Film and Water Pod, at Treasury Comics, and at Pod Dylan. And 70 other at ones that he doesn't want to talk about. You can find me at Firestorm Fan on Facebook and Twitter, and again, also on the Firewater Podcast Network. So I think that's going to do it. And uh, until next time, folks, fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to get Torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice. And see a land in there. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah. Thanks, Shag and Rob. We'll take it from here. <laughs>